Welcome to Southern Eagles. Today's show is as of yet unnamed, but we sure will make something up. As the show mainly contains broken promises, trigger warnings and references to material cut from the edit, we refer you to the next week's show to fill in the dots. Or you could just make some random dots on a sheet of paper and connect those. I mean, what do we know? Have you been affected by any of the topics raised so far in this show? Or do you perhaps have suggestions for titles for this episode? If so, please write to us on Ulitsa Nikolaevskaya 35300 Gabrova, Bulgaria. Please make sure to mark the envelope. We want to know who stuffs hedgehogs. I'm Nils. And I'm King of the Ducks, Ted the Breadbringer. Ted the Breadbringer! Well, we probably have a topic to talk about today, but first, what are we drinking? We are drinking uh, something you'll have to pronounce because, yeah, it, this will be evident why. That I will try. It's called Goose Mariage Parfait. Which is not a parfait of marriage. Which is not a parfait of marriage, it's a perfect marriage. And Goose is, is it the brand or the yeah. type of beer? No, Goose is the brewery. Okay, well, that's the brewery. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to say as well, it's uh, Millesim 2013, because... That's 2013. Yes. They're very fancy about their beers, so they decided to mark the year, like if it's wine. Yeah, it's a Lambic, right? Yes. So, aren't this, this the Lambic that they, the brewery insists on, or they try avoiding using cultivated... Um, yeast. Yeah, yeast they, they, they just like put the tank at the top yep. of a building somewhere and they hope for the wind to bring some yeast. <laughs> yep. So it's, uh, it can be quite different from year to year. It makes sense to have a... At least that's what they claim. I've been told they sort of mix in some of the, uh, the cultivated yeast. So so each batch will be completely different. Yeah, or, uh, or based. Or waste. Yeah, <laughs> to make sure something... Okay, well, and so. this is cork, so maybe... Maybe. Maybe. maybe nice I'm corking. Silence. Ah, oh, shit, it's cork tight. That's what she said. <laughs> That was a good sound. So, um, this is a lambic, meaning it's a beer made, it's sort of soury ish. Mm. The the, the flavor I usually refer this to is um, candy sugar, you know, this kind of like, yeah, sour sugar thingy Mm. you would have uh, in. Whatever candy in your country have this. Right. Yeah. So, it has a nice color. Nice it's golden color. Sort of, yeah, golden like beer. <laughs> mm. Mm, it, smells, it smells like flowers, which is to be expected. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually doesn't smell as bad as yeah. most other lambics. Oh, yeah, because it, yeah, it could be one of those that smells of fermented vomit. Yeah. Which is not nice. This, no. this is actually... A, it sort of smells like if someone's stuffing your nose with flowers, which is pleasant. Well, usually it makes me sneeze, but... Yeah. Oh, poor you. I don't like the spring. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like the spring, then why are we recording this? No, I'm thinking about the word sink. Sorry. Sink. <laughs> no. I'm confused. You're confused. In Norwegian, spring is, spring, spring is the, the, the tap. Ah, I'm for some weird reason I confused the two languages. 
you're making a face of not exactly happiness. It is. It is sort of as expected. Um, and just if this is the perfect marriage, it's um, slightly sour and. Um, <laughs> I, I'm almost if this is the perfect marriage I'm almost pleased to be a bachelor <laughs> no offense um, no I, I'm kind of with you it's just like <clears throat> it's not the, the sourness is there but we don't have the sweetness that usually complements it it's yeah, a well, bit yeah uh, it's sort of sour in, in several ways actually uh, yeah. sort of sev several layers of sourness 50 layers of sour sourness 50 layers of sourness not shades but just layers yeah um um, I'm going to finish this, but I'm not really pleased. <laughs> no, me neither. I, I had kind of high expectations on this, and uh, so, so it, it's not disgusting or anything. And perhaps it would be even better if we were outside for something. I've, Maybe I'm not sure. Lambics aren't uh, supposed to go with anything particular to eat, are they? I don't think so. Okay, let's grade smell. My nose is really congested, so I'm going to have to rely on you. <laughs> I would... I would say this This smells nice. Mm -hmm. um, it's not overpowering. Uh, so according to our scoring chart, which needs revising badly, uh, this <laughs> is this is supposed to be a 9, which makes no sense because it doesn't smell that good. No. So, so uh, just... Sort of gut feeling says seven. Yeah, maybe. It might. It might be now that I've tasted. I also think it smells slightly of piss. Is piss worse than vomit? No, there's there's sort of actually. Yeah, it's it actually smells like. I'm taking it back. It doesn't smell like flowers. <laughs> I think I think this is the thing that it helps drinking or eating stuff to to develop a feel of the. The smell mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, and the reason why I say that is uh, because now it's uh, I wouldn't say vomit but it smells like a public convenience yeah slightly yeah not a bad one not the one where there's uh, graffiti on the wall and no the kind that is yeah. clean yeah but so it, it actually smells like a public convenience yeah so <clears throat> so yeah uh, that that's good uh, that we sorted that out because it means that it goes from nine to four, three, or three, <laughs> three. Yeah, so okay. three points, three points because it smells vaguely of piss. Yeah. So yeah, if you've learned something today already, listeners, it's that you should take your time. Yeah. Because we started liking it and now we really don't. <laughs> oh, I mean, as, as expected, we don't like it. I think for uh, you expected uh, this for lumbic, it's actually not so bad for a smell. Lambics usually smell really, really bad. The thing is, this one is like uh, the only lambic I, that I thought it would be. I, I, I agree. The thing is that the only lambic I, I drink, is not regularly, but the one I drink most often is Creek. Yeah. Which I think tastes fine. Yeah, but it's it creek. actually it's tastes completely really different thing. It tastes very good. Yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah, perfect it's on bastardly hot days. Yeah. Which actually happens some days in Norway. Yeah, like fucking yesterday. No, so yeah, so that that's for the that's for the smell. That's for the smell. And then we have taste. Tastes. Are we going to finish this? I think I think we're gonna finish this, which makes it at least three. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the first taste you get is some kind of um, sharp, s- sharp, sharp, citrusy, mm. orangey, maybe blood orange kind of flavor. I would say. I don't. That's really the first taste the difference between orange and blood orange. But then and I'm from, I'm from a country which has two spices: salt mm-hmm. and pepper. Yeah, you know, blood orange, maybe grapefruits kind of in there. That's <coughs> the kind of sourness, like I said first. And then there's a second layer of like this bitterness that's really not so pleasant. Actually, the, the second layer reminds me of, um, if you've ever done this, adding lime or lemon or anything to water and just leave it for mm. 10 minutes or so, that makes it taste very nice. Mm. If you leave that overnight, for instance, because you forget it and then try drinking it the next day, it tastes horrible because then it, it hasn't like pepper paper like. no it ta- it tastes extremely bitter because it has oh, yeah. then started the the stuff that makes the color in this the the skin yeah the, of the, the lemon on the lemon or the lime especially lime is awful start diffusing into it and that oh, tastes Really shit. Bad. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not intense in that sense, but that's what it reminds me of. That's kind of bitter water, and it's not bitter in a good way. It's no. bitter in a rather awful one. I think and if, if you didn't layer. have this second layer, I think it would be a nice, you know, sour beer, and uh, there would be something. But this yeah. this second thing that comes out in because the back if it here, didn't have that second layer, it would only be bland. Yeah. And it would would be a sour beer, which was slightly boring. But now it's it's sort of someone. I don't know if someone pissed in it. It's no. It, it it it's not that it reeks of piss or, but it's sort of it has a pissy quality to it. That's not a phrase you should use about the beer. Yeah, no, no, I, no, no, not if you are happy about it at least. No. I, yeah, I would say three. Yeah, the three for taste. Yeah, that's also actually that's actually quite appropriate for the scoring chart because that says tastes slightly sour, otherwise bad would avoid. Yeah, which is what I would say. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. <coughs> burp. I did burp at some point, but it was quite silent and me too. Not not much came out of it. Yeah. The thing is that I I think my palate is sort of suppressed by the, the sourness and yeah, bitterness anyway. That's so, very likely. So four. Yeah. Somewhat disappointing burp. Yeah. Lacking in taste. Yeah. Yeah. Design. <laughs> I mean the, yeah. the the uncorking was really satisfying. Yeah, that's fulfillment of expectation. Or is it design? Uh, that's I think it's part of the design. Okay. The expectation <laughs> like how how much the design sold you on to thinking it's a good beer. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then good <laughs> no, <laughs> So No, it's it's a fairly standard bottle. It was corked, which is a good thing, uh, in, in, in my book. Uh, I mean they have this very fancy uh, band at the top saying the the, the year, but also it's, for the point uh, of it, because it has a, a cork and you have to unscrew a little cap on top of it in mm-hmm. order to uncork it. I really like that one, that thing, because it, um, no, this is me coming from a Norwegian drinking culture, which basically means you get hammered if you're drinking. You're mm-hmm. sort of, at least at our age, that would mean that. So I like that. This means that you can actually buy a bottle of beer, which sort of looks fancy, it resembles... So it's not just a, it's not just a bottle of 
where you take the cap on and then you just wash it down. This actually looks... It It looks like an event. Yeah, Yeah. it looks like an event. It's refined. I'm actually very impressed with the bottle. Yeah. So Mm. uh, I would actually like to give it uh, 9 or 10. I wouldn't go that far. The, The label is really kind of confusing there's a lot of like writing in at least three different languages and yeah but it's belgian yeah yeah it will have to be anything is that oh best before the 15th of september 2035 it's it's weird that it's in dutch french and english it should be in dutch french and german um not really nobody really speaks german in belgium i uh, the belgian national anthem is called brabac Son or Brabacon, I'm I'm not sure how that's that it's a C with a little thingy underneath. So Brabason. Yeah, I mean it And it has three verses, which is I think is more or less the same verse three times but each time in a different language. Oh. So you sing it's first in first in French, then in Dutch, then in German. Huh. Yeah, there's I think that no no, no the the the, the um, I think the verses are different, but it's it's the same um the refrain, uh, the the ending is the same, where it says, uh, "La roi, la loi, la liberté." Okay. And then you say the same thing in Dutch it's and German. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure why I know that. No, so yeah, I mean, it it does give you the important data. It's an eight percent alcohol by volume. How did you store this? Lying down or standing up? Uh, it was lying down. Because on the back of it is actually marked it shouldn't be stored lying down. I don't uh, think so maybe it's bad because I'm stupid. I don't think so. But I re- I actually like that they have explained how to store it. Yeah. It's and described it, 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 on the back as tart, dry, excitingly complex aroma. I don't agree. It's tart. I agree. But the aroma isn't excitingly complex. It smells like a flower bouquet in a, in a public convenience. At the same time, maybe I should have stored it the way they say on the bottle. That might have helped. Maybe. And because maybe we ended up like actually drinking some of the deposits that we should have avoided. I'm not sure. Probably, but that I don't think um, that makes for that, that would make it smell like piss. No. No, and the, the <coughs> other thing that is of interest in this bottle is the the best before. 2035 most beers uh, are best before like two or three years after mm. production this one is 20 years after production yeah. or 22 years after production but it's bottle conditioned that might have something to do with it also this is the mm. kind of beer you would buy and perhaps store maybe maybe, so, maybe it will be better in 10 years <coughs> i think it's marketed very well yeah. they, they sort of done a good job with everything except for <laughs> the content yeah and and <laughs> and, and uh, and I don't think you ruined it by storing it lying down, but let's just say we the, the door's open to that idea. Mm. That's a new, that's a Norwegian expression. The door is open. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised by the expression. I'm not surprised yeah. that it exists, and it probably exists in other languages. Probably. It's the the, the idea is not shut out. Is no no it's yeah. So m- yeah. maybe it it could be better than it, it was. If we wait or if we store it properly. Did the bottle convince you to try this one or no, it didn't because you knew what you were getting anyway. Um, I wanted one of those kinds and that was, I didn't know this specific uh, mm. 
uh, variation of it. So I was like, oh, maybe this one would be interesting or more interesting than the others. Yeah. And well, it sort of it sort of promises something with that name, but uh, yeah. seeing that it's called Perfect Marriage, but then according to to Goethe, a perfect marriage smells of piss. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what to take out of It's ra- not it's bad content, nicely wrapped. <laughs> oh, yeah, but indeed, if, if we follow our chart for the rating of the design, it is a nine. I would say it's an either a nine or a ten because I, I actually really like the bottle. The bottle is probably and the cork went pop. The cork went pop, and it has the bottle even has the shape at the bottom like a bottle of wine. Mm, a punt. It's what is called a punter's mark. I believe you. Yeah, I learned it from television. <laughs> I don't remember what. But I, actually, I would argue that this is a 10. And and it's, uh, although it's slightly confusing that it's in several languages, I think it's marked very nicely. It, it I think it's to its advantage that this is sort of a beer you could use as... Um, if you don't want to drink wine or champagne or something, you could you could actually bring this and sort of seem just as re- as fancy as yeah. the other. Yeah, it, it's it's. I think it's good that beer isn't just uh, cal- um, isn't just um, bottles or cans, mm. and that it's actually something that looks fancy and you could actually do take just to sort of be refined. And it would be if you took this to a uh, bring your own drinks party, this would be. Sort of raise a conversation. Yeah. People would ask, "Oh, is that champagne or is it? What, what is that? Yeah. Oh, it's a beer. Oh, and yeah. So the content itself, it's it's not that good, but uh, yeah. And the fact that it, the backside sort of refers to how you should store it and and what kind of glass you should use. And yeah, and we used actually the right kind of glass. And the Nearly. temperature is supposed to be drunk at, which we didn't follow, so... Well, I didn't measure, but I took them out of the fridge a tiny bit before, and the fridge was about 6 degrees, so... Yeah. It was probably around, right? Yeah, I think it was around the right temperature when we actually drank it. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I would... I would. You, you I think there's too much text, and the text is too small, and I'm old, okay. and I can't read it anymore. Okay. So I would You're say 9. 9, okay. I take a point off there. Fulfillment expectations? Oh, Ooh, that that's not that's very bad. good. Good points there. Not bad. We expected something sour and bitter. Uh, not bitter, but sour and... I expected a bad smell and a sweet and bitterness combined into yeah. something brilliant. So we are... This is not even slightly disappointing. This is either meh or so in- uninteresting. Because it's worse than expected. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We both have drunk and lambics before and we know... Sort of had an idea what we to expect, and this mm. wasn't it. No, clearly not. Uh, three or four. Three. Three. Yeah. Right. But I did finish my glass. So and did I. That leaves it with twenty-two points out of fifty, 50. which is actually surprisingly good. <laughs> well. Yeah. The the the, it's the, the bottle that the, saves the day. The bottle saved the day. Yeah. It was a good bottle. <laughs> So, yeah, we recommend, actually, drink something from Gersa, drink Lambex, but don't try the perfect marriage. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Have an affair, be unfaithful. Yeah, or, or, or maybe, like, buy a bottle and, and actually wait 10 years storing it, uh, or the don't. head up. Or, or don't. But, you know, <laughs> you know, the, 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 
the bottle is so fancy. There's so many things they write on it that I have the feeling that maybe. The thing is that if you, for instance, try the the creek of Gosa, you would get more or less the same bottle, so it would still be fancy, and that would also be red, and that has a very deep, complex, really nice kind of sourness to it, which that is I actually, really like, which yeah. I really, really like. So actually, um, don't do the perfect marriage. Take the creek. It's good now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our recommendation: you get the same bottle, but actually with content. <laughs> Yes. Perfect for a sunny day. Yes. I think I recommend most beers for a sunny day. day. <laughs> sudden, sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Well, you know, I I, I would re- recommend most beers for sunny days. Yeah, there There's f- nothing better than a beer when you you know you're outside. It's 25 degrees and you're a bit warm and a bit sweaty and like a nice cold beer is so yeah. so so nice. That's that's what I want beer the most. Also, if it's very cold and dark, you don't want beer. Not really. Then you want hot chocolate. <laughs> 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 I realized yeah. if you do this backwards, Start so start with the how, what kind of day are you imagining? And if the day is dark and wintry, and why would you drink beer then when there's mm. hot chocolate? Yeah, or cocoa, which is hot chocolate without chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Use what? cocoa powder instead, <laughs> which is chocolate. Yes, <laughs> sudden detour, sudden detour, <laughs> massive oh. detour. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, anyways. Do we even bother opening the other one? Uh, I would vote no. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> you can throw it at... No, I mean, I, I will keep it and drink it one day. But I think I think I will actually like store it for some time until I forget about it and then reopen it later. Yeah, store it uh, oh, standing. I'm going to store it standing in my basement until I move out. Yeah. And, uh, and or you can throw it at someone you don't like. <laughs> no, I mean, I still think it has some redeeming qualities and, and, and maybe they're not quite ready yet. According to a scoring sheet, it most redeeming qualities. If it's out of the bottle, bottle, and that's not going to change much. <laughs> but actually, that, it's a good point that you could store it for a couple of years and see if it gets any better. Yeah. Because you have, I think we have documented fairly why we didn't like it. <laughs> yes. That's nice. All right. Anyway. And then today we might actually get to move on to our real topic of the day. We. Which is? Uh, Saxophones. Saxophones. Yes. That's a little, that's a slightly weird topic, I guess. Unless you play the saxophone. Do you, Nils? (laughs) I do. Do you, Ted? Yes, I do. Oh, that's (laughs) why. Ah. Uh, Yes. So... Yeah, that's why. <laughs> should, should, should we start with a, a, a quick uh, story of where saxophones are and where they're from? And I would actually start by pointing out that the saxophone is a brass instrument, which is a wood uh, woodwind instrument. Mm-hmm. And what makes it a woodwind is uh, because you blow onto a reed made from bamboo. So woodwind doesn't necessarily woodwind instruments doesn't have to be made out of wood. No. And the one, the reason why I'm saying this is that I went to school with someone who was convinced that a saxophone uh, had metal on the outside to hold pieces of wood in inside. place on the inside. Yeah. Ah. And, and that sounded <laughs> when he said it out loud, he he himself thought this sounds so stupid. <laughs> why would you? 
Why would you make a wooden instrument and encase it in metal? Because clarinets are... They work. Not encased, and they work, yeah. Yeah, and you have flutes made out of wood. They work. Yeah. Bassoons. Oboes. What's an oboe called in French? Oubois. Oh, that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> that makes... It's... Yeah. There are so many letters. There's, there, there is quite many letters. No, but... Uh, I guess, like, if you had a wood instrument and you would encase it into metal, it might have some kind of effect on it. Yeah, yeah it probably will. I, I can't think <clears throat> of an instrument that has this quality. I'm not sure if it still is like this, but when I bought... I have a baritone saxophone, which I bought... Uh, Ten years ago or something mm -hmm. um, and r at least around that time there were several of the instrument manufacturers were playing around with different ways of making the instrument so um, the, 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 the normal thing is to make it out of brass yeah and then uh, some Japanese company made it out of what they called red brass where that you there's more copper than in uh, yeah, brass. I think, yeah, yeah it's more copper and then you had um, French company which made it out and also um, the company that made my saxophone but because they were the same at the time <laughs> yeah at the time made one, a saxophone out of uh, uh, bronze yeah and and also there are uh, some companies that uh, sort of encases it in some kind of black coating which is yeah like nickel based uh, coating there are some of them that makes it nickel based and there are and then uh, I'm not sure what some of them do because the nickel base are sort of black and gray and mm. you have those that are completely black like, black and yeah. looks more more or less like plastic I don't think it is but yeah it's 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 more of a lacquer like yeah. okay. it's not quite supposed to affect the tone I think I was told it would yeah it probably would I, I, tiny I, bits, I, I never think I met anyone who had it because it no. uh, it looks I, cool for five minutes I used to play a black soprano saxophone hmm uh, it was my first soprano, and I only yeah. played it for a year, and then I moved on to a normal gold sax saxophone soprano. So um, uh, I can't really say, and I never had the choice, the, the chance to test it against uh, like a clone of it without mm. the black lacquer on top. So that's actually a problem, I think, because saxophones are expensive. Yes. So it, it's unless you have the opportunity to test the same kind of instrument, same kind of model with different finishes. In in um, in the shop. In the shop, it's extremely difficult to compare. Yeah. And then you have those that makes uh, the saxophone out of, I think, silver plated. The silver plated, and there's solid silver as well. There's solid silver as well. But okay. the, the main yeah. problem with solid silver, I mean, there's two problems with solid silver. One is that it costs an arm and a leg, and two, it makes the saxophones extremely heavy, mm. like twice the weight. There's also uh, an Italian company that has not solid gold, but gold-plated. It's, yeah, I, I think quite a lot of companies do gold-plating. Do they? Yeah. I'm only aware of the Italian one. We actually have to decide, are we going to mention manufacturers' names? Yes, maybe we should. Okay. Because it, it probably sounds very uh, cloudy from the audience's yeah, okay. perspective. So, saxophone makers are... There's still the big four, which is... Uh, so Selmer is, Which the, is the French one. Is the French one, and they claim uh, to be the original one because they actually bought the. They bought the patent. They bought the patent, and they even bought the building that was used by uh, Dol Sachs okay, in Paris. That, that's so not they, really they, they, they bought <laughs> the patent, and they bought the 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 workshop. Yeah. 
So they are kind of the inheritance of the original mm -hmm. uh, manufacturing. And then there are two Japanese companies, Yamaha and Yanagisawa. Yes. Or Yanagisawa. Uh, Yanagisawa? I don't know. Yanagisawa. I'm not Japanese. They have, they have the, 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 so the saxophone comp is composed of three parts, which is the mouthpiece, which is usually made from ebony, which is sort of a kind of rubber. Technically, uh, it's Ebony hard. is a kind of wood. No, isn't it made from hard rubber? Yeah, the mouthpiece is made of hard rubber, but clarinets are made of ebony. Yeah, but you, you say, wouldn't you, aren't, they are marketed as ebony mouthpieces, but they aren't made from ebony. No, that's yeah? for sure. Yeah, they aren't made from ebony. I'm not sure how they market it, but they're not marketed. In English, they are sold as ebony. Okay. I think it's referred to the color. Yeah, maybe. And then uh, you have uh, metal mouthpieces, which are usually steel or bronze. Yeah. Considering that the only one I remember is uh, the Belgian one, I think. Berglarsen. Yeah, Wondering makes some. Yeah, and then the what I don't I don't remember the name of that uh, mark. I'm not sure even sure if they still make uh, mouthpieces, but they were a French manufacturer that made uh, mouthpieces out of wood. Ooh. But they were rather expensive, so I didn't buy one. Never heard of it. I don't remember the name of it. The problem is that uh, there is a um, <clears throat> in England there's a saxophone um, sale company with sax.co.uk. Zero, zero points for the name guys yeah. but it's I've, I've been to their uh, main shop which is awesome because it's a flight hanger that they've just fitted with uh, saxophones, saxophones. it's it's oh it's so beautiful it's so nice there I've seen pictures I want to go yeah they used to send, they used I used to order the catalog from them and, ah. and just browse the same <laughs> yeah the same when at the age where other kids were uh, looking at cars or naked women and stuff i was browsing mm. sex phones yeah so uh, <clears throat> so i, 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 I don't remember the name of it but there were at least uh, a french company that made mouthpieces i don't think they made they made sort of ligatures and mouthpieces but nothing more the ligature is the part that tells the, the read to the mouthpiece yes and then there's the neck Mm -hmm. which is the tiny... I, I'm actually gesturing with my hands, which won't help you. No. It's the tiny part connecting the... The main body to the mouthpiece, except for uh, a number of soprano saxophones that yeah. don't have a neck, and so <coughs> yeah. the mouthpiece is directly connected to, yeah. the, to the body. Yeah. And also, we forgot the, the, the last of the five, the big four... I mean, yes. saxophone makers, which is uh, Keilwart, which is the German ones that made my saxophone. And I heard about them for the first time in my life when you showed me your saxophone. And you borrowed my saxophone. And I really liked it. Yes. The, the, um, the keys are laid out in a way that when, when you're playing it, uh, you don't really pay any attention to it. And then you play something else and then you think, what the fuck have I been doing for so long? <laughs> because it's slightly skewed to the left. Yeah, <laughs> Everything. there's a tiny bit of a. But a I love bit. it. It's an old, but, but, but I'm, I love it partly because it's made out of nickel silver, mm -hmm. which is uh, slightly misleading, but it, because it contains no silver at all, it's uh, not that that actually affects it. Baritone, it's a baritone saxophone. They are, it may weighs slightly over five kilos, so it's shittingly expensive, anyways. Yeah. I think it's uh, slightly over six, uh, six kilos. I think. Six kilos? No, five or six is something like that. That sounds worryingly light for a baritone saxophone. Does it? It's the case that makes it so extremely heavy. Yeah, it's 
The first sex, the first Baritone saxophone I played was a Yamaha Thirty Two, mm-hmm. which was extremely decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it had it. It came with a case which um, we used to joke that if the plane crashed, it would be the one part surviving. <laughs> <laughs> because actually, I the thing that annoys me with with the Kylewood instrument is because it has slightly different proportions to the bell and stuff. I can't use a Yamaha case because uh-huh. uh, Kailwert didn't make a case for this um, my saxophone. There was sort of a custom case which was awful. Okay. And then I bought a different case which I really like but it's, you know, a backpack kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's fine but I, I, I would love to have one of the Yamaha cases because they are so solid that you could probably break down a door with them. <laughs> it's that's sort of the Yamaha saxophone is very good as well, but just the case is superb. Superb. Yes. There's one thing we also haven't talked about is uh, the different sizes of saxophone. We've been talking about sopranos and baritones, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a very nice audience yeah. might not know. Uh, what that, that's uh, listeners at home. This is the most common kinds of saxophones. <laughs> <laughs> so the four most common kinds of saxophones, uh, the, the, I think, okay, let's go by size. Yeah. So the, the smaller one of the most common is soprano. Yeah. Uh, it's usually uh, a straight instrument. It's supposed to be straight. It's supposed to be straight, so it's a bit kind of the same size and shape of a clarinet. If, yeah, if you don't know what you're looking at, you'd think it was a metal clarinet. Yeah, basically. Um, they also exist curved, but mostly they're straight instruments. Important thing to notice is that if you compare a clarinet, because you ha- there is a such a thing as metal clarinets. Yes. And the, the, the difference between a metal clarinet and a saxophone is, uh, of course, how you actually... Grip, how the keys work. How the work, key, keys work and stuff. But actually that the uh, clarinet is cylindrical, so it's more or less the same diameter the entire way, yeah. whereas the saxophone is supposed to be conical. So it and gets wider cer- and wider. I don't right. remember the ratio, but they were also supposed to be conical by a certain ratio. Yes, the most likely something, mm. but I do not remember. Because there are some sax- some saxophone-like instruments which aren't saxophone because they aren't classified as saxophones because they aren't conical and not. Ah, yeah. interesting. We, we might get to those. We might get to those, yes. So, soprano, then the actually most common saxophone because... It's small enough to be used by uh, even, you know, the seven-year-old child. Oh. I would say it's the alto. I mean, the reason, I mean, alto or tenor, which is the next one oh, a bit bigger, yeah. are the two, like, most common saxophones. But I don't know anyone who started at, you know, eight-year-old playing the tenor. Because yeah. when you're eight-year-old, the tenor is about your size. Yes. And <laughs> it's kind of unwieldy. So I think that's probably the main reason the alto is at least... Right now, the most common saxophone you find? Yeah, it's probably partly that and partly because we didn't say declare the range, but so the, 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 the soprano is, is tuned in B flat. Yes. So it's sort, it's sort of tuned the same way a clarinet is, and the alto is tuned in E flat, which, and in the same range more or less as trumpets, I think, sort of. Is it? Uh, yeah, ish. Ish. The the, 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 the the range of um, of brass instruments is always larger than the woodwind instruments. Yeah. But um, yeah, the range is so they overlap. They overlap always. somehow. Yeah. So I know that mostly when you have for like 
symphonic bands and stuff when you play the saxophone your part is usually transposed from not necessarily the first trumpet but sort mm. of the one of the lower trumpet um, parts okay that makes sense as far as I know yeah so that's probably the error the alto yeah. favored by our <clears throat> friend Charlie Parker yeah uh, and by most saxophonists and by most saxophonists it was what I started on yeah he's also what I started yeah. on it, it's sort of the bread and butter of the saxophones. Yeah. And then you have the tenor, which is mostly known as the jazz saxophone. Yeah. Uh, most jazz players would, would probably play the tenor. If you don't know much about saxophones, that's probably what you would think about. Yes. That's what you would see in a big band of jazz probably. And that's what you would like... I mean, if you type saxophone uh, logo yeah. on the internet, you will have something that's actually a tenor because... The neck is not just a hockey stick shape thing, but mm. like as it's, one more bend, yeah. and so that that gives it a, a more recognizable look. Yeah. So that's that's a tenor, which starts to be quite big, and then the baritone is the the, the fourth instrument, and then yes. the neck is actually not only. No, it's a loop. It's a loop. It, 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 it kind so of twists it around. By, it's by far the largest of the four common saxophones, mm -hmm. and it has the smallest neck, I think. <laughs> yes, be no, it, because it, the main loop is incorporated into the body, yeah, at least classically. For obvious reasons. Because it's so large, you have these large, um, very long metal rods that connect keys and, and pads. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that these are integrated to that kind of loop on the top of the baritone saxophone, so you can't really uh, dismantle it. No. Dismantling a baritone saxophone is foolish. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's the most. I think it's the most complicated of them all because it, uh, be simply because the sheer size. It has. It has the same number of keys as everyone else. It might have one more. Yes. Because it has sort of uh, an extra key for going lower, but uh, yeah. But then the soprano might have an extra key for going higher. For all I know. Uh, the the newest one yes like yeah. the one i have does yeah. have an extra key to go to the high g, g. Yeah. So, so then the same number of keys normal saxophones go from the low b flat to the high f sharp yeah. that's the, the yeah. yeah all saxophones do that these and days. if i remember correctly the range of the baritone saxophone is supposed to mirror that of a cello yeah that sounds about right yeah so but the, the problem with the baritone saxophone is because the instrument is so long it's about a meter or Plus, I think a bit more than me. Yeah, yeah, like one twenty, something like yeah. that. the The problem is that your right hand might be doing something, which is supposed to move a key more than or a pad more than a meter away from you. Yeah. So yeah, that is why you when you dismantle it, there are very small parts, except for the main body of the instrument, which is massive. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the complexity of each instrument is, uh, I mean, the, mostly they're always the same, but just like scaled down or scaled up. Mm. Except when you start being like in the very small uh, things and the, the, the small adjustment <coughs> holes and, and, and things like that. And then the soprano has actually more weird, tiny things opening mm. up and down because it's a more brittle kind of instrument. And so you yeah. need some things to adjust the tuning uh, or different range. So some weird compensation things that you won't have on a bigger yeah. instrument. Yeah. Because on bigger instruments, you actually have the space to... Space out the, the pads and make... Yeah, well, and, you have the space to do the provisions you need to. Yeah, and as any engineering project, if it's larger, the margin of error, if it's the same in percentage, mm. is uh, much uh, larger in actual mm. millimeters. 
Yeah. So you can have a hole tiny bit too big and still not really feel it. Mm. Whereas on a on a soprano, if you drill a bit too big, then then yeah. you ruin the instrument. Then you ruin the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the from top to bottom. It's the soprano, the alto, the tenor, and the baritone, which yes. is sort of the standard four. Yeah, and, and so soprano and tenor are B flat, and alto and baritone yeah. E flat. And everything in B flat and E flat is one octave apart. Apart. Yes. And then it's sort of, uh, yeah, you can figure out yourself what the difference between B flat and E flat is. <laughs> this is not music theory 101. No. Sorry. And, and I'm really shit at music theory. <laughs> <laughs> I did like a summer course once. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. Not because it wasn't very intensive. It was just part of, yeah, it was like band camp. Okay. And we could do music theory. Okay. And I was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Still am. <laughs> All right, so we have the the four one. Should we go up or should we go down? We should go up. Okay, up. So we start with this. the soprano was the highest one we had until now. Yeah, which is common. The instruments we are going to mention now is sort of we. I have never seen any of this. Okay, I've seen a bass saxophone, which we will get to. That's the only instrument. We'll Outside get of now. the four you've seen. Yeah, okay. that's I've actually seen. All right, so the, 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 the first one higher up is the Sopranino, which is in E-flat, so it's one octave up from the alto. And to any you know purposes, it's exactly a soprano, just a tiny bit smaller. Mm. Uh, it's harder to play because suddenly you really need quite a lot of pressure to, to get sounds right. It's yep. harder to play in tune uh, yep. for the same reason as soprano would be. It's it's a more brittle kind of thing. Yeah, because the the principle the saxophones work with is that you you blow air through it and that makes the reed vibrate, vibrate. and that kind of vibration um, basically just uh, reverberate through the instrument. More yes. Or less. Yeah. And, and when the instrument is very large, then this is on a rather large scale, so. Any small deviations you won't really pick up because your ear isn't that good at making out uh, very low tones. Yeah. Whereas when they are rather high, we the ear is working rather well with it. Yes, and tiny variations suddenly are audible. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so that's sopranino. It's just a small soprano. Who makes sopraninos? So uh, Selmer makes uh, good sopranos. They, I don't think they've updated the the model they make since the eighties. So it's still an SAT. It's well, it's series SAT two. series two. They 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 made a series two. Okay. So good. Yeah. Series two is actually still a series they make. So the current one is a series three, and then they have some special editions and stuff. But mm. the the main Selmer saxophone is the series three. Uh, but they haven't updated the series uh, to Sopranino yet. Okay. And I don't think they have much plans on doing it. Uh, you know, maybe when they have the next big breakthrough, they they re-update everything. But so Sopranino, for instance, they haven't updated, and I don't think they really have plans to do it because the market is very very small. Also, this instrument is so specialized that I guess that if you actually need one, you are going to be very good at this. And then it's uh, if it ha if there's something that needs upgrading, you'll you'll probably just work around by either fixing it yourself or just adapting your style of playing. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm not good enough to do. Yeah. So that yeah. So probably not. So still, it's in the catalog of the big uh, saxophone makers. Yeah. But it's 
I, I don't think I've ever touched one actually. I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever seen one. I'm not in. sure. I'm not completely sure, but uh, but probably not. And then that that was until quite recently the smallest one. Yep. And then uh, a company that we will actually talk again when we talk about big saxophones called Eberhardt. Uh, 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 no, no, no. It's uh, it's it's not even Eppelsheim. a company. It's it's one guy called Benedict Eppelsheim. Yeah, one guy called Benedict Eppelsheim. Aus München. Yes. <laughs> That's where he worked in Munich. In Munich. <laughs> Uh, he made uh, a tiny, tiny, tiny saxophone, which is Extremely one of tiny. up from the soprano. It's the soprillo. Yes. It's very, very tiny. It has a few like quirks. Like the bell is actually not uh, f- uh, perpendicular to the rest of the instrument. It's a bit tilted. Yeah. And the mouthpiece uh, has actually a uh, tone hole into it because the octave key uh, is inside the mouthpiece. I didn't know that. <laughs> So when you put the mouthpiece on, you have to like activate the, the, the octave key so you can actually slide it down and then the, the octave key will close down. But we, we will come back to Mr. Eppersheim yeah. because he he works out of Munich and as far as I know, he is one guy that yeah. what he does is making the extreme ranges of saxophones. Yeah. He makes them very well. They are also, they are very expensive, but... Um, and he mostly has no competition. Yeah. And the thing is that, uh, yeah, he has no competition because, yeah, no one makes the soprano. I think he makes a sopranino. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't remember. Maybe he 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 also makes some some he makes uh, metal clarinets. He, he sort of what he does apparently is making specialty instruments. Yeah, yeah. I would call them. And no. as far as I know, the band's a freaking genius. So probably. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, so the soprano, quite weird, doesn't have a flat bell and has a key inside the mouthpiece. Yeah, and it, it's terrible listening to it. <laughs> so, and uh, I, I have played it. Have you? Yes. Uh, he was like on a tour of, uh, of Europe, like basically showing his instruments. Mm-hmm. And uh, he offered people to try it. And uh, I did try the soprano. So you met him? Probably. You bastard. <laughs> I think I, I, I've, I've, I've met the instrument. I think he was around as well. Or maybe someone else was like uh, doing the tour for him there. But, but yeah, so, so uh, I did play the Soprilo. And yeah, I mean, y- y- your face turned red because of the, mm. the high pressure you need to be. And playing in tune is a real challenge. I think, if I remember correctly, he, at least his webpage used to have a warning saying that it professional players would need to from four to six weeks intense practice actually managing to play the instrument because mm. it's yeah. yeah so small depression it is so high and it's so incredibly excuse me it's so incredibly difficult to play in tune yeah so it actually comes with a warning for professional players i think that says what we yeah and of course you you can't find reads for it basically you need to buy sopranino reads and kind of cut them down cut them down on your own mm. it, uh, it's uh, it's a whole mess he makes mouthpieces for them, don't he? Yeah, he makes the one mouthpiece yeah. that exists for it, the one with the hole inside of it. Mm. But yeah, so so that's uh, that's a quite a special instrument. Because yeah. usually there are more, they're actually more manufacturers of mouthpieces than of saxophones, as far as I know. Because most most mm. manufacturers of of um, uh, saxophone also make mouthpieces. To some extent. To some extent. I mean, yeah, whereas there are, for instance, Van Doren doesn't make saxophones. Van Doren doesn't make saxophones, but I mean, 
I oh. have seen a mouthpiece that with the brand Jupiter. Yes. But I'm pretty sure Jupiter doesn't sell mouthpieces without the saxophone to go with them. They do. They do? Yeah. They do have like... Yeah. You can buy just a mouthpiece. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then, then, because, then I'm wrong. Uh, no, that, that's... Uh, uh, for one, for one, you can buy them from sax.co.uk, <laughs> and and the thing is, uh, not that those mouthpieces are exceptionally good, but they are quite decent. Okay. So the thing, the, the reason why at least sax.co.uk sells them sort of individually is that you can buy, you can buy instrument saxophones, where, uh, which are bad, but where changing the mouthpiece to a Jupiter would actually make it's the acceptable. whole thing better. Okay. Yeah. Right. Of course, there are loads of instrument manufacturers around the world that make extremely poor quality saxophones and give you extremely poor quality mouthpieces with them. And I think the mouthpiece is the most important part of the instrument because, yeah, I mean, every, because everything starts there. Yeah, everything starts there. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so yeah. If you're good enough, you could always work your, your work around to some degree. Uh, whatever you, With a bad instrument, as yeah. long as your mouthpiece is good. And actually, that's... Uh, Small story. At some point, I decided I wanted to have a, 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 a tiny curved soprano saxophone. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. To play with the, the, the band where I met uh, Ted, mm. uh, and the color of the band was uh, yellow and green, and so I managed <laughs> to get a curved soprano saxophone that was uh, the body was green and all the keys were gold. Uh, the guy on eBay, because of course he was on eBay, uh, was selling it blue and gold. And I sent him a message, hey, can you make it in green? And he said, ah, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, which is a bad indication of the quality. The other bad indication of the quality is that I paid... Not how, much. Like, a, about, <laughs> like, $200 equivalence. <laughs> that that wouldn't buy you a mouthpiece. That would, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's about the price of a good mouthpiece. For a soprano, perhaps not for baritone. Not for baritone, but for, uh, <laughs> yeah. I recently got a tenor mouthpiece for I'm about sort of, price because yeah. I I mainly play the baritone saxophone. I'm used to everything. I need <laughs> costing several times more than you do. Yeah, your yeah. reeds are sold by the pack of ten. Mine are sold by the pack of five, and they yeah. cost around the same. <laughs> no, mine are well, more expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So yeah, so so this crazy tiny saxophone made in China, obviously. Painted whatever color you wanted. China or Taiwan? Uh, I think it was. Or are we adopting the one China policy now? It's the one China. <laughs> no, uh, in mainland China. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and the mouthpiece that came with it to 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 go back to that uh, was really 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 poor. I mean, I couldn't make any sound out of it, and then I just took the mouthpiece from my other saxophone, and then it was mm. fine. I mean, the the tone wasn't rich or anything, and it was still a bit. Ah. Uh, uh, but you could thin, play. But I could completely play, and it was uh, loud, and uh, mm. and actually I was quite successful playing the saxophone for about two years, and then, well, it, the, the, the quality is not so good, so uh, keys start to bend a bit. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I once had a student. Uh, she, I taught her to play the saxophone. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Mm-hmm. And she had a saxophone which was made in uh, Czechoslovakia, I think, mm-hmm. but it wasn't sold under any particular brand name, so it was just 
the, the, the brand stamped on it was the, the retailer in Norway. Okay. And it weighed it was it weighed so much. It was probably made by plutonium or something. It was so incredibly heavy. It was an alto saxophone. Okay. And it was the the keys were laid out in an incredibly weird way. And sort of first first lesson I had with it, I sort of felt like okay, this is going to be uphill or the way, mm-hmm. the way. But changing the mouthpiece helped quite a lot mm. because then she was at least able to make sound yeah sound and and the one good thing about heavy instruments is that they usually contain a lot of metal and metal resonates and that makes for a rich tone i'm not saying this was a good instrument and that i would prefer it but i i've i've seen more shitty instruments yeah since yeah also it czechoslovakia made some really weird instruments there's a there's a brand called Amati which the band mm. we play play in uh, ha- have still an Amati saxophone, mm. uh, baritone saxophone, which I I suspect it's made from recycled cans, you know, from can- leftover canned food. Mm. It's so incredibly horrible to play on. I mean, uh, <clears throat> compared to the 1960s Selma made from recycled uh, uh, shells from artillery. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, they never admitted to it. But everybody knows that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps they did the same. The the, 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 um, the good thing about Selma is that they sort of have a reputation to take care of. Whereas Amati, uh, make, as far as I know, they make very good brass instruments and saxophones as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I think I interrupted. Yeah, so the, the, the so that was the story for the tiny saxophones and why the mouthpiece is important yes. and that can save a bad instrument. Yep, and, and completely ruin one. And or completely ruin a good one. Yeah, of course. And then we can move to the my bigger area, instruments. My area of expertise. I will give the the mic to Ted. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, so. Actually, the only one I've never played a bass saxophone, but that's sort of when you go from E flat of the baritone to the B flat of the next one down, so half an octave down. That's mm-hmm. the uh, B flat. It's um, I think on, I think there's only three manufacturers of them because uh-huh. uh, Selma makes one, yes. and then uh, Mister uh, Eppersheim makes the one. Okay, and he actually makes one with. Um, so, so there's a, a, an extra loop on the top of the instrument, which actually makes it into the size of a baritone saxophone. Yeah. So, it's so reasonably small bass yeah, saxophone. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's a very, made a very good bass saxophone, which is sort of it's in, it's it it makes sense. It it's possible to take around. Yeah. As uh, so, yeah, so it's Eppelsheim, Selmer, and Kailwart. Okay. Next one. Um, and I'm I think sure Yamaha makes bad saxophones. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Oh, okay. Neither do Yanagishawa. No. There's actually there is a Japanese brand I think called Sakusu, yeah, which makes a bass saxophone that, according to reviews on the internet, it's sort of perfectly decent. Okay. It costs half of what the other ones cost. Okay. It's actually cost less than a baritone saxophone. So according to the internet, it's surprisingly decent. But the problem is that when you go from so actually starting from the baritone saxophone and going downwards, so lower instruments, the instruments are so incredibly large that you need good quality metal pieces simply because because the weight of because they would just break apart otherwise. And, yeah. and and the, and it's like long, rather thin rods of metal that will they will bend under their own weight. Yeah. So actually, these instruments are rather difficult to produce cheaply. Mm. Also, because they are so long, you need often you need to adapt. 
each part. So you have a machine produced part, but you have to adapt it because there will be some variation within the instrument. It's mm. long. Mm. And then, of course, it's the sheer amount of metal needed because they are extremely large. Yes. So several ones makes out of them, and they are not completely uncommon. They are used in some... Yeah, contrabands, saxophone yeah. ensembles. In my orchestra in France, there was uh, yeah. one bad saxophone. So I really wanted to have one, and then I realized that they are extremely expensive. And you would never use it. I would find a use for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, yeah, I have no. I really don't have any use for it because you don't even have bass saxophones. You know, you come the the normal setup for a, a big band doesn't contain a bass saxophone. No. So it makes absolutely no no sense. No. And then you have the instrument, which, as far as I know, is only made by Benedict Eppersheim. He also he also makes a subcontrabass saxophone, but he also okay. makes a contrabass saxophone. Okay. He actually makes actually there is no such thing as a subcontrabass saxophone, because uh, what Mr. Eppersheim is making is he makes a uh, contrabass saxophone, which is an incredibly large instrument, which is at least two meters tall. Yeah. And and it's incredibly curved. If you look at it, you think it was the love child of a uh, bassoon and a, a metal clarinet because it's weirdly shaped and, and lots probably of a giraffe. Probably, yeah. But he also makes something called a tubax. Yeah. And the tubax is per se not a saxophone because it's too cylindrical. Yes. Which makes it possible to play <laughs> because. Be- the thing is that for small saxophones you need high pressure to to make the sound. Um, with large saxophone you don't necessarily need uh, high pressure. What you need is an incredible amount of air flowing through it. So rather than being able to yeah, blow with a high pressure, you need you need um, a rather impressive lung capacity, <laughs> and, and that is incredibly in, that's incredibly difficult with a baritone saxophone. I think it requires you should you you need to prepare for it. So it would only be more difficult for for the pair of us. It's no problem. But I've seen girls trying to play my baritone saxophone, which is not a euphemism, <laughs> and uh, they they simply can't pass enough air to it. So yeah, you I make think it's long. You need a rather good lung capacity. Which is something you need to train for. Yep. Uh, And the bass saxophone is even more incredibly in need of lots amount of air. Mm. And the contrabass saxophone, even more so. Mm. So I think I know about... uh, um, Oh, what is his name? There was one guy who used to have all these instruments, an American, called... uh, Oh, uh, I see. I have no idea his name. We'll Google him afterwards. Um, so yeah, so, but there's also the tubacks which uh, Benedict Eppelsheim makes, where he makes what is called the E flat tubacks and the subcontrabass tubacks, yeah. which is they are both uh, mostly uh, cylindrical, which yes. makes them technically not saxophones. Yes, but that's the subcontrabass uh, saxophone, which is the an octave be- below the bass, bass, which is two <laughs> octave below the tenor. Which means when you actually play the low notes of that saxophone. You can feel it, not hear it. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. You, you, I don't think you can technically hear it hmm. because we go further down than yep. 20 hertz. Yeah, you are in danger of attracting elephants mating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also it looks like parts of a massive radiator. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly a lot the way of it looks like. And I think I think actually he has made both of the both the both the two boxes are made for you uh, playing with a bass contrabass uh, no uh, um, bass saxophone mouthpiece, whereas the contrabass saxophone needs a proper contrabass saxophone mouthpiece. Yeah, you could buy a specially adapted neck for using a baritone, no a bass saxophone mouthpiece. I think. Yeah. Because there aren't. I think he makes the mouthpieces as well. Mm, he, this is sort of the guy that makes really cool saxophones. Yeah, that that's that's for sure. Also, uh, the massively expensive ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you can either buy a fancy Porsche or these yeah. saxophones. Yes. And like when I say fancy Porsche, it's like the fancy one. Yes. <laughs> these are th these cost in several tens of thousands of pounds. His bass saxophone, I think, is only uh, £30,000. Oh, yeah, that's actually. actually kind of reasonable. Yeah, that's. I think that's actually the one he sells most of because it's, it's a bass saxophone, which is something you sometimes need. But the problem is, for bass saxophone players, I guess, is that neither Selman or Kaelwort uh, has updated their instruments, so they are still very massive mm. and large, whereas he has made a, something which, in every aspect of it, is a bass saxophone. It's just he has shaped it in a way that... It's it, more practical. It's more practical, yeah. You can sort of change... Read on online that people say you can change from a bass saxophone to a baritone saxophone with one this one without actually having to adopt very much. Okay. So in your style of playing, so yeah, that's really good. He's then. sort of the savior of the non-standard saxophones. <laughs> yeah, I would like to meet him one day. Yeah, me too. Mm. Unless I already have, but I'm not. Sure. <laughs> you would you would like to meet him and be aware of what is happening? Yes. Yes. I've met the instrument and I haven't met the man. He's sort of the modern Adolf Sax. In, yeah, in the sense that Adolf yeah. Sax invented the saxophone and this guy actually keeps most of his inventions alive. Uh, how many saxophones were in the original pa sax patterns? Uh, from, the uh, original sax patterns. The 28th of June, 1846. The, the original sax pat uh, patterns were for uh, alto, both in E flat and in F. Yeah, so there was two <laughs> independent series of saxophones. Yes. So the, I think it was seven on each side. Seven on it was, each It was seven either B or E flat, yeah. and seven either F or C. There were at least the soprano, the alto, the tenor, the baritone, and the bass. Uh, there were some... He made... Uh, no, I'm not sure. Mm, I, think the, I think the patent was actually having the sopranino and down to the contrabass. Okay. I'm not sure Sax himself ever made a contrabass. But the patent was uh, I think he only made to the base. Yeah. And but then there was so there was like a, a duplicates of them yeah. for the the other kind of tuning. So one of them was supposed to be for uh, orchestras and the other was for yeah. military uh, marching bands. Yeah, so the E flat and B flat are supposed to be played in military band because then you have all the instruments in B flat and E flat. Yeah. For instance the trumpets which are, you both have in E flat and B flat. Yeah, and the clarinets as well and yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so it was a good thing to go with military bands, but the F and the F and the instruments tuned in F and C are because that's what you find in in classical music yeah. orchestras. But they never were so popular in classical music, so the C and F like didn't immediately gain a lot of traction. And then of course, like for an instrument maker making like fourteen different kind of instruments is not something you can scale well or anything, so they just decided, okay, let's just make the E-flat and B-flat, and musicians would just figure it out. Yeah. And what yeah, happened is that the, the people making the music sheets figured it out, and they just 
I mean, the saxophone is the only instrument where you always play the same keys, whatever instrument mm. you have, because the music sheets adapts to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's in that way it's the laziest of instruments yes because if you you know if you play the violin then you play the alto violin suddenly it's it's the not viola. the same key the viola is yes. it called the viola it's called a viola we call it the alto in french in Norwegian it's called a bratsch bratsch and the joke is that it's called a bratsch because that's the noise it makes when you dro- drive over it <laughs> <laughs> yes other uh, other viola jokes uh, what's the difference between a viola and a violin the viola burns longer. <laughs> it's the most popular of the hated instruments, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, for the saxophone, <laughs> we always end up playing in the uh, G clef. Yeah. And that's also quite weird. That even for the baritone saxophone, which is partly in the bass clef. Yeah. You still play the treble. Yeah. It's still scored with the treble and and the bass, which is everything I think in bass clef. Yeah. The range is everything in bass clef. It's still, uh, and uh, yeah. So so you, yeah. Which makes it fairly easy for a saxophone player to switch from one to another because it's uh, it's going to be the same key. If it's written a C on the on the music sheet, you play the exact same hmm. whatever instrument you, you you're playing. So that's extremely practical. Yes. Yeah. Even if it's a bit odd, uh, theoretically. Yeah, because what all other instruments have is that um, there are some tones they're supposed to be playing mm. and the score reflects that. Mm. Whereas, actually, so the, it's actually denoted what kind of tone this is and then if you do the transpos, uh, transposition backwards, you know what you so what tone this is. Mm. Whereas for um, the... So, for instance, the soprano and the tenor and the bass, which are all in B-flat, mm-hmm. would actually... Their, the notes in the score would be more or less in the same range on both... All would be in treble clef and yeah. would be beneath the lines and they would just sound octaves apart. Yeah. Which is, as far as I know, incredibly weird. Yeah. And and, and completely one-off. Yeah, I Not don't think there's use. other instruments that do that, no. And the other amazing thing with saxophone is that there's an octave key. So when you play the uh, like low G, you press the octave key and then you press the high G. Yeah. And then when I tried to learn the clarinet, I was putting my fingers to play a G and then I push the octave key and then it doesn't give you a high G, it gives you a high... Instead of eight... It's, oh, it's, it's a twelve. Part, it's twelve, yeah. So, yeah. So g- g- it's not an octave key, it's a register oh. key. It's, uh, it's hard for me to think with letters because that's not the naming we use in French. <laughs> and a G is called Sol. <laughs> <laughs> no points. It's a 12 of the G. Sol, la. It's, it's a C, which is B in English. Ah, oh, shit, that's hard. <laughs> I mean, oh, one of a G is A. Does not make sense to me. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's actually pointing to something which is, I think quite weird with saxophones because the saxophones is so it was invented by Adolf Sax which was a Belgian mm-hmm. but it's sort of the Frenchest of instruments yeah I think it, it's it's uh, partly because it was brought up by Selma who was French yeah and, and also because Sax himself lived in Paris when he invented the saxophone I he was born sense. in Dinant in, in Belgium but he didn't yeah. stay there so but 
also it's 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 one of those very French instruments. So whenever I uh, got notes for it, so not not sort of the how to learn to play the saxophone notes, but when I started playing like etudes and stuff, it's very much in French. Mm. And it's incredibly weird because I'm accustomed to the system where you denote the le- uh, the, the the tones by letters, mm. and I wondered what this mib was <laughs> and sib sib mib, which later turned out is E flat and B flat. Yes, yeah. So it's a very French instrument, I think. Yeah, I mean by, by design. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> then he got. I mean, he got used by everyone everywhere, and so it's not so French anymore. But my favorite saxophone of all times is the mezzo soprano. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Sudden detour. Which was, I think, only made by the American company Con. Yeah, I think so. And it was tuned in F, and and Con had such problems selling the instrument that they decided instead of actually selling the instrument, they used them to train instrument repairments. So what they did was they smashed the instrument and then repaired it and then they smashed it again. So today you have to pay like twenty thousand pounds or something to get one in decent condition because it's like three. <laughs> and then the problem is why would you? Because there are no notes for oh. saxophone in F. Yeah, I mean, talking about saxophone in F and, and mezzo-sopranos and these kind of things, there, there was actually quite a lot of saxophones that we don't really see anymore. One, one of the ones that is still semi-popular is the C melody, which is between the alto and the tenor. tenor. Yeah. So it's slightly larger alto. It looks like a undernourished tenor saxophone. Or a slightly too fat alto. No, it, it has the same curve in the, in the neck. So uh, I've seen both styles. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen without the curve in the neck or with the curve in the neck. I didn't know that. Because it doesn't really matter. I mean, the the, the, the reason for the curve in the neck is to make the neck longer without <laughs> like pushing your head too far from the instrument. Yes. And, and, and there it's like, do you want the curve or not? It's more mm. of a design choice than a really uh, practical uh, thing. That's so, true. Yeah, so the C melody is still something that's been a tiny bit made by some French uh, instrument makers. I don't remember the brands, but they're both a French and a Japanese, I think, that re- makes remakes of them, but not, not Yamaha or... None of the big brands, no, no. no. But they are, according to a review I read, uh, it says that it's uh, very useful because you can play piano music without transposing. Yeah, yeah, Which I I guess is true, but then why would you have piano notes and insist on playing the saxophone to them? No, I I think the main use for that would be to play, like... uh, uh, songs like f- for to replace the, the voice by the oh. saxophone yeah, and then it true. makes a bit more sense that makes sense like if you want to play whatever like opera the, piece or something then suddenly the name also makes sense yeah because it takes the melody part yeah that, that's I think yeah. that's the main point of the, the C melody I yes. think that's the only uh, non E flat B flat instruments to make it ever yeah, and even yeah. so, like make it not so much. But yeah, I know they were produced. I know they were produced for classical works like baritone saxophones in F, but no, the, I, the they, those were made by Mister Zax. Yeah, and yeah, and and they, this really didn't go through because the the C melody still has some existence, 
all the other F instruments, all C instruments, they're just museum pieces. Oh yeah, yeah. The the mezzo soprano I mentioned are like collectibles. Yeah, they are probably played, but they are collectibles. Mm. So yeah. So I think we've been through all the, the saxophones that uh, are relevant. I think so, and we've mentioned most manufacturers that we care about. Yeah, I think so. There are there is a. D- d- French sounding namey thingy, which I'm not going to mention because I don't like them. Buffet Crampon? Oh no. Yeah, I no. don't like them either because, yeah. <laughs> Buffet Crampon uh, um, was. This is the stuff that only happened in instrument manufacture. Because when I bought my saxophone, Kylewert owned uh, Buffet Crampon. Okay. Uh, today, it's the other way around, <laughs> which makes no sense. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Things are being sold and uh, and resold and, resold and, and, yeah, and merged and yeah. I so, mean, Buffet and Crampon used to be two companies. Yeah, Kylewert used to be Schreiber Kylewert. Okay. Where Schreiber made German style clarinets. Okay. Which have more keys than the French style clarinets. Yeah, they, which in which has more keys than the Romanian style <laughs> clarinet, which is the Albert system. Yes. Which is the Romanian one and the the the. the Oh, boom! 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 Yeah. It's the French style, probably. I think, and the German style ones. I don't remember the name of. No, me neither. But yeah, there's yeah, yeah. and that's the good thing with saxophones. There's only one system. Yes. To be honest, the there's a, the Schreiber is the only Schreiber or Schreiner. I don't remember. Is the only company that uh, I think make uh, Erler is the name of it. Er, the Erler system. Okay. Which is an uh, which is built on the boom clarinet. It just adds a shitload of keys for like when you play very high or very low notes so okay. to compensate. Okay. So it looks like it looks like you would expect a clarinet walking into a radioactive factory in a movie to come out with extra parts on it. Extra parts on it, yeah. yeah. Actually there's some people trying to do that for the saxophone as well. I've heard like there's some Problem that you see in every saxophone, for instance, the the G sharp key has a tendency to stay stuck. Yeah, that's the sticky pad. That's the sticky pad. It's there's other pads that can stick, but this one is like the one that every saxophone yeah, player I've ever met had a problem with sticky G sharp. On the internet, it's referred to as the sticky pad. Yep. But I'd like to point out that I don't have that problem because my saxophone is made of superior German technology, and they've actually solved the problem. Yeah, so, but... I'm so happy. (laughs) Why haven't all manufacturers solved the problem? Because it's clearly a problem. Because it's a German patent. There's probably other ways of, like, solving it. But it's incredibly weird. Uh, And what's mostly weird about it is that... um, Okay, this this will probably be difficult to explain in the format of a podcast. Mm -hmm. But uh, the pads are... The system is either that you press a key down and the pad go down. And they are usually directly linked. So, yeah, so it, it's moving in accordance to your finger. And then you have the other ones, which is that there's a spring trying to raise the pad, uh, but there's a lever holding it down. And when you press the key, you raise the lever, which in turn raises the key, Yeah. which is the problem with the, the, the sticky pad. That it's simply that the key the key is down most of the pad is down most of the time and when you press it you need to raise it and the link is not directly. Hmm. So what uh, Kylo did is that they 
the, it's not a direct link, so it's not that when you press it down, it's it's not raised in one mecha mechanism, mm -hmm. but there's a, a link which is um, that instead of the hmm, so the bridge pressing down is also lifting when you so it's sort of dual purpose. Yes. And you, the main reason why this is a complicated part of the system is that there's the key to actually lift it up, but there's also a number of keys that force it down, yeah. even if you still up, yes. which can be practical in some cases. Which is extremely practical. But still. Yeah. There, are mo there are many ways. There are usually around half of the tones you play on the saxophone can be gripped in two ways. Yeah. Because there are extra keys to help out. Yeah. They are not out. They are not to. It's not as far as I know. It's not to to help tuning or anything. It's just to help play really fast. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Yeah, there's, yes, some modifications would be like really really complicated. Like if you need to lift eight fingers and then press four at the same time on different keys, mm. you don't have enough fingers to do yeah. that. So uh, yeah. yeah. So some escape things or there's some keys that don't really gonna make a note that's gonna be exactly in tune. But because it's going to be part of a... A trembola, I think it's called. Oh, Yeah, but like if you, or a very fast line, all that. It doesn't matter if it's really on tune. It just needs to be about the right note. Yeah. So there's some like quick escape and things. Yeah. There's also another problem with Side most keys. saxophones. C sharps are usually a bit too low. Yes. And there's there's one key you can press and that's going to make the problem a bit less worse. And then if you buy the Selma 3 series, it's solved. <laughs> French superior engineering. <laughs> I think we'll just refer to it as, as French engineering because it's not superior to the German one. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what Nils and I have been arguing about since the day we met. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Basically. Basically. <laughs> I think we actually, yeah, I think we started this the first time we met. Yeah. Because my saxophone is German superior technology. Mine is French superior technology. <laughs> and so, so probably by method of exclusion, probably the best saxophone you can buy is Yanagisawa. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I mean, I, I've played Yanagisawa's and uh, I've liked them. So they yeah. are technically perfect. Technically, I, like the way they function is, is better than both Sailor and Kylbert, but uh, they have no soul. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. the same argument for buying a Leica camera against buying, uh, you know, Panasonic. Mm. Panasonics are absolutely great. Leica has a soul. Yeah, but but the thing is, the thing is not that I'm referring to the soul as oh, this has a history and you get tons no, of no, crap it, of it, but it's personality. But actually, yeah, you can actually just play a long tone and just dream away into that. Whereas. The Yanagisawa, at least the ones I've played and heard other people play on, sort of sound like it. It almost sounds like it's with an auto tune or something. Yeah, it's very. It's a bit too perfect, maybe. It, I wouldn't say too perfect, but it's too clinical. Hmm. There's no. There's no bite to it. There's no nothing else happening. It it could be it, you could successfully record it and use it for a synth. Yeah, and then yeah, it would be the same. Uh, sh should we do uh, uh, buyer's advice? Actually, I would have some buyer's advice because I'm 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 wondering if I should buy a Alto. Okay, because you don't own one right now. I only own the Baritone saxophone. Okay, because it costs the same as a tenor and an Alto. True. <laughs> and I did a really weird investment. <laughs> 
I love it. Because it has a name. She's called Matilda. <laughs> but w- w- when you played the alto, it was a board instrument. Yes. Okay. All the all the altos. I I've, I've never owned my own alto. Okay. And I've played several altos. I've played uh, Yamaha's and Selmer, and I've played the Boucher. Okay. That's actually the one I play in the band. Okay. It's uh it's a Boucher stencil, so it's uh it's a licensed copy of a Selmer. Okay. From the late fifties, early sixties. Okay. I think. Okay. I really like that. It's it's one with all the. Uh, oh yeah, all I, I'm fixing it with rubber bands. Yeah, that's uh, that's their specialty. Yes. Rubber band <laughs> fixing. Yeah, I learned it from one of my my instructor once that if you are mending a saxophone, all you need is rubber bands, or gaffer tape. Rubber bands for lifting stuff up, <laughs> gaffer tape for keeping it down. Yeah, the the, the only caveat to that is that it doesn't look very good. No, it doesn't. And but they I don't I'm, stand very long. No, they don't. The rubber bands need replacement. But I've improved on his system because I don't need gaffer tape. I use rubber bands to keep stuff down as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I have... The, I, I use one box of rubber bands for fixing anything. Oh, and so, everything. So the saxophone and orchestra are mostly rubber spinners. <laughs> Not necessarily because they need so, but I think it houses it. <laughs> yeah. You, you put some rubber bands on my saxophone on PCs that all move. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> but I, I I need to start saving up for an alto saxophone. But I'm I'm really intrigued by Calvert. Okay. But I I I'm I think I would also try a um, Selmer mm. when I do that. But we need to point something out, which is that uh, if you're buying your first instrument, buy a Yamaha. I mean, uh, I obviously will disagree with that statement. But, but simply because it's it's it, it's cheaper, and it does everything it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it but it, it's not necessarily the instrument you'll use when you become really good. Yeah, but yeah. So there's there's a there's the budget problem, and if you want the baseline Selmer, uh, it's going to be about four thousand euro slash pounds slash. <laughs> dollars depending yeah. on where exactly you buy it but that's about the the the, yeah. the the price so yeah that's that's a heavy investment yeah and the yamaha would be like half the yamaha would be like half and recently uh Selma decided that they wanted a share of that huge market of like beginners instruments <gasps> or intermediate instruments i and didn't so know this about a year and a half ago two years ago they released uh, a saxophone they called the axos which is an alto saxophone that uh, at our local shop they sell for the equivalent of two and a half thousand euros, mm. and I played it and it's really really close to 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 the the, the professional ones they have. It's a really good instrument. The yeah. the way they use to make them cheaper is that there's more of the pieces that are made in an industrial manner, so it's a bit less handmade. It's still handmade. Yeah. It's made the same factory as the others, yeah. but they kind of. Rationalized uh, the the manufacturing process, and so they they made a bit more cheaply. But it's the same uh, metal, the same material, the same lacquers, and uh, and yeah. basically the same design. For the, for the, um, because the Kylwood instruments are mostly made in they're made in Germany. I don't remember the name of the place, but mm. they used to have a student series, which was called the ST series, which were the same instruments only made in Taiwan. So they industrialized everything. 
and then they have the SX series and the SX uh, the SX90 series was a while, while back now it's SX90R where they have sort of tried to adapt sort of the highlights from the 70s and 60s mm. to a modern saxophone which is my instrument is an SX90R Shadow because it's darkish mm. um, and they used to have a sort of intermediate series Okay. which they don't anymore, which mm-hmm. was called the EX. Okay. And they have started uh, recently a series called MX, which I don't remember what the M stands for, but it has something to do with where it's made. Okay. But they are all professional instruments and will set you back something like four or five thousand pounds, euros, dollars. dollars. Yeah, they are expensive instruments. Yamaha's, if, if, if it's your first instrument, go Yamaha, it's cheap. If it, if if it's not your first instrument, why are you listening to us? You know what you're doing. Yeah, that, that, you, you might have a point. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, the advice I had. So I started saxophone when I was, I think six, and the first year they gave me an instrument to play, like a rental, and so it was uh, it was a Selma two series, kind of old, a bit beaten up because Poor it's you. been being played for over ten years. But yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was a good instrument, yeah. but it's been you know it's everyone's first saxophone for a year so you just it just was never played by a good musician it was always played by uh, a kid who would of course bang it onto walls and <laughs> yes furnitures and anything so it was a bit bit up but it was a, it was an amazing saxophone and at the end of the year we went to the professor say okay what should we buy and the advice was buy a selmer or go home uh, it should well, be pointed out that Selmer is French. And uh, remind me, you are Belgian, aren't you? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, no. So, so, so of course, the, the Frenchness of them, but also they are rock solid instruments. And the saxophone I bought, then uh, after the, the professors uh, told, told us to, uh, I still play it, and it's still brilliant. And ah. that's eighteen years later. So, in the end, it was a very wise investment. Hmm. Uh, of course, if you don't know if you're gonna like the saxophone or if you're gonna play for a long time, yeah, maybe buy something cheaper. Hmm. But if you end up buying, you know, the cheap one and then selling it and then buying an expensive one, it's more expensive than just buying the expensive one to begin with. Also, what should be pointed out is that uh, budget-wise, you could start with a cheap saxophone and a more expensive mouthpiece, because yeah, that, that, that's definitely my advice. Because the tip I got from my professor, so I I played in a school band so I my own the only instrument I've ever owned is my extremely expensive and difficult to insure baritone saxophone <clears throat> story for another time yes um, I actually made exams questions for my students about the insurance <laughs> how much will it cost me to insure it shitloads uh, anyways um, <laughs> anyways um, the thing is that um, so I always had rather cheap instruments mm. and some of them were heavily used before me but what uh, improved them massively was actually buying better mouthpieces mm. so having a Yamaha instrument but a Selma mouthpiece or a Fandor mouthpiece makes a hell of a difference it does so that's actually if you're thinking and also if you if you're thinking about this as just I'm curious if I could do this. If you if you live in uh, England, you could actually rent a saxophone from saxophone.uk. <laughs> they aren't sponsoring us, but I really hope they would. Yeah. Could, please, could you pay me in reeds? 
please. Please. No, but, uh, but it's I mean, no uh, point you being sponsored in Reeds. Mine are three times as expensive as yours. Yeah, 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 I will take any sponsorship by now. Uh, but no, the, 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 they would rent you a saxophone, yeah. but it, like you would find shops renting you saxophones in most places. Ah, I'm bro. pretty sure the shop where I bought mine would have rented as well in my small hometown in France. I'm fairly sure they won't do that in Norway. Okay. I'm fairly sure. And that, but that's simply because, uh, because most kids starting to play saxophone in Norway would do it through a school band and they will load yeah, the saxophone there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's no market for it. Okay. That, that's simply why. But perhaps if you go to one of the, the retailers in Norway, perhaps they would. What do I know? You, they have, you never tried. Yeah. I've never tried. Mm-hmm. I've never had the... the Mm. Yeah. There are some Italian makers of saxophones. Rompone Cazzani. Yeah, that's they are the one that makes the gold plated one, which costs yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they make saxophones more expensive than Selmer's. Yeah. And, uh, but that's because they make, as far as I know, very good saxophones and then just coat them in valuable stuff. Yeah. Sort of if they could fill one with with, with oil, that's not that expensive anymore, that's true. No. They would just yeah. Oh, we can fit. I think they do make some with like this, this diamonds involved. I know there's probably an, not in the coating. <laughs> I know there's an American company called uh, Cannonball. Yeah, uh, which makes I don't. It's like that's covered in diamonds, like it's no, Swarovski crystals or something. I didn't know they did that. What they tried for a very long time to sell as a oh, this is a great invention thing was that they would have a gem inside the neck. Ah. And as far as I know. No. Pointless. pointless. <laughs> they try to sell it as a resonance gem, which makes no sense at all. Mm. Because it's attached to the metal, it won't resonate. It's a crystal, yes, but it's not allowed to resonate when it's attached to metal. True. Mm. No, so that, yeah, that would be stupid. There's also a company called Vibrato that makes plastic instruments and they make plastic saxophones. Yeah, that's. I've seen those. Uh, I've played a plastic trombone. That's not the same. But I guess they, they have the same quality and drawback. I've actually been, been, been thinking about the vibrato one, simply because it's made completely in plastic and uh, I don't remember what the pads are made from, but they are waterproof. Yeah. So it's it sort of makes sense as a rainy day instrument. <laughs> because I have a strict policy that my instrument doesn't go outdoor. Well, then you should do like me and buy one from eBay and you can choose the color. Yes. Please, I would like to buy a plastic baritone saxophone, please. <laughs> I don't think they make baritones, but they no, make they... shitty Chinese uh, baritones, no problem. Yeah. They're not that cheap, though. No, because no. the thing, the, 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 the manufacturing is so, like, unprofessional that you really just pay for the weight of the metal. So the soprano is cheaper than the alto, and that's the only possible kind of, like, brand that it would happen because Soprano is always more expensive than the Alto because it's more refined uh, manufacturing. It's incredibly difficult to assemble. Yeah. But if you if you just go on eBay, the Soprano is cheaper because it's less metal. It's actually quite fun that if you see on sort of the price of the instrument, it's it's the Soprano is more expensive than the Alto, which is usually cheaper than the Tenor. Yeah, the Alto is, yeah. So it, it's cheapest. sort of, for the first three of them, you would think, oh, the larger, the more... The cheaper they get, and then the baritones appear, and sort of, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll smash the price of the three previous ones together, and there you have an instrument. 
because it's the, the ridiculous amount of metal needed and also you have the, the to increase assemble increase quality of it yes. and, uh, when I bought mine I was told that yeah they are assembling it as we speak <laughs> 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 it was sort of made not custom made but we have a customer assemble <laughs> whatever that is in German built build bow bow schnell jetzt I mean bow is building yes uh, that's probably true. kind of close enough probably close enough considering that neither of us speak German I don't well, I just took five years of German but no I don't speak German I did five years of French yeah <laughs> my point exactly okay, <laughs> thank you but you are you were educated in superior French education yeah but I wanted to learn Italian so I was forced to learning German and I Why? didn't want it uh, my mom said that I could either do Italian and Latin because Latin has a strict grammar and it would be good for my head and, uh, <laughs> and for some reason I couldn't do music and Latin at the same time so I chose music and then I couldn't choose Italian because of my mom so I had to do German but it was really like unwillingly oh. and so uh, I, I did the minimum possible to get passing grades and hmm. and then I forgot everything as fast as I could when when uh, when I was supposed to choose, because um, apparently you could choose language as one of several courses. Mm. In Norway, we have uh, you learn Norwegian, and then you have to learn English, and then you choose what is known as second foreign language. Yeah, yeah they're the same in France. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so so Latin is not. Yeah. Latin is not a foreign language. Latin is a, like yeah. a special thing. I realized this. Too. It's it's like Latin and music go mm. in the same category. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, so I got a note home basically saying, uh, what kind of language would you like from the possible ones? And I think I could choose from Spanish, uh, French and German. And as the only student in my class at the time, I chose German. I did the error of making the mark with a pencil because my mother knew the technology calls called a rubber so she just removed it and then she used a pen to note that I wanted French and then we had a stalemate for a couple of weeks and then she decided no you want French and then I came in and did French for five years and yeah and now you can carry furniture in the snow yeah so I will now do one of the results of my five years of French so this is the phrase of the day Bonne chasse. Which I think was supposed to be bonne chance at some point, but <laughs> got uh, kind of switched. And so it's not good luck anymore. It's uh, happy hunting. <laughs> yes. Five years well spent. Yes. Well, that was a, a, a good conclusion. That Five years well spent. <clears throat> I hope you have, uh, according to my recording... One hour and 35 minutes well spent. They will, this will be edited down. Slashed, uh, <laughs> yes. I think the phrase is. Slashed, yes. And uh, see you some other week then. Bye-bye. Bye.
<laughs> it's actually um, uh, a couple of years ago there was a Heilwert, uh one-off special bass bass saxophone. Okay. Which was made by an instrument maker, sort of. He did it as his ordeal. Okay. So sort of the the thing he hands in for, submits for for recognition as a craftsman okay was he made a one off special bass saxophone mm-hmm. where um, uh, he, sort of the problem with the large saxophones is that you have to um, all the metal parts that links the the keys you press to the pads that go down mm-hmm. are so extremely large so yeah. he actually made uh, he had to be linking uh, parts from a Burton saxophone and um, 